Welcome back, friends. Here we are again. Season 2, Episode 6. Made it past the six-month sobriety mark, which is pretty cool. I have to say, I really didn't know where this was going to go and if that was even going to be an option. And I would surely tell everybody if it wasn't, as that's the whole point of the show. Sober living is a, a way of life, for sure. I'm seeing it more and more, which is pretty remarkable to see other people. Obviously, in my social media, I get to inherit new followers and follow them as well and get everybody else's take on a life of sobriety. Although it isn't necessarily my goal to never drink again, I surely am now committed to a soberish life. I have uh, done enough drinking for one life, for one. And um, I really now, more than ever, understand the benefits of, of greater sobriety all the way around. I'm a little reminded of one of my Mixed Messages podcasts, which is uh, Gift or Burden. And that was probably one of the greater struggles that I was kind of riding through in, in this round of sobriety, because it wasn't just from alcohol, it was from herb as well. And that wasn't always the case. I did that in my first 60-day sobriety, but I, in my first season I had some occasional herb. Not in any kind of excess, but, you know, that's still something. And albeit, I guess I'm not, nobody's ever completely sober. I drink coffee and what have you. But I will say, like in the gift versus burden example, there's there's many a times where, like, I ran into kind of mundane tasks or mundane living that I wasn't wasn't as crazy about or that I typically in the past would have dreaded. And I would have either drank to kind of breeze through it a little bit easier, slosh through it a little bit easier, whatever you want to call it, or smoked to focus in on it a little bit more. And I think that was probably not so much the abstinence this time around, but the inability to kind of go to those winning formulas and get through kind of the things that I didn't really much like, you know, silly stuff like expense reports and timesheets or going through bills or filing or things that often I felt were quote unquote beneath me and uh, needed a little lift to give myself reason to do them or to make it easier, more tolerable to do them. And with that said, you know, I think what's helped in the process is to realize what a gift it is that I'm actually doing them, that I have a job that I can fill out timesheets for, that I have a job that has put me in a position where I can travel and do my good works and make a living and get reimbursed for that, amongst other things, right? So, you know, that's, that is really what I, I lean on more now. <clears throat> wow, I always do this. I'm a little out of practice, guys, so forgive me, but somehow I get in front of the microphone and this graspy thing occurs. So, you know, I think uh, gratitude obviously is a huge one all the way around for everybody in life now and I think in changing our channel and, and understanding how to get ourselves in a positive frequency and healthy emotions and healthy lifestyle and less negative thinking and so on. You know, gratitude is a major tool for that. And that's the tool I use now more than ever to, to get me through those mon that mundane stuff and also to give myself permission for the mundane. You know, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful to have a good relationship with my sons. I'm grateful to feel as much as I have. And, and I've always been a deep, deep feeler, you know, whether I embellished it with alcohol or whether, you know, I sober or boozed up or high or anything else. I mean, I feel 
immensely. And I think anybody who's been in a relationship with me of any kind can attest to that. I am a deep feeler and an emotional person. And that's something that I think I've gotten a little bit more clarity on and been more honest with myself on about is how messy my life can be and has been at times. I think I was so driven and so purposeful to make my life less messy than it was in my childhood that I really didn't want to admit that things were as messy as they were in my adult life at any given time. And matter of fact, I was offended when anybody pointed it out. And I think now I can give myself permission for the messy. And that's the human experience. And so I'm not necessarily going to apologize for it. I'm not going to feel shamed for it anymore. I'm obviously going to do what I can to be more grounded and more centered and more devoted to a healthy experience with the human condition. So, but messy is real, and I'm a messy emotional person. Some little interesting tidbits before I kind of go back into the storytelling portion of this season is a few things that I've been learning out in the world, and an observation is another kind of Tahoe lesson that really grabbed me the other day was as I walked Tahoe, you know how dogs come up on each other. Some dogs like each other and sniff each other and are cool, and some dogs are immediately barking at each other and growling and some are pulling their owners towards each other and you know the other dogs and Tahoe even at times as well and there's like this there's never an assurance that these dogs are going to get along but the funny part that I really have enjoyed about it is is that that doesn't shake up their reality at all you know I mean they don't expect that they're going to get along. They might they might have curiosity. As a matter of fact, once they get through the growling and the pulling and the barking and the drama, they actually might get along just fine and start playing. But initially, they're on guard or they're being protective of their owners or they're, or they're just being a jerk, whatever it is. You know, Tahoe doesn't seem to be emotionally moved by it. <laughs> I think for me, so often, I've, I've come to realize about myself is that I... I'm very passionate about trying to bring out the best in others and obviously being, you know, a rescuer at certain points in my life and the way I grew up and, and or being a people pleaser and, you know, which has been a part of my own addictive lifestyles and so on is this that people pleasing and I could go on for days about all that, but it's a nice way to think about and live your life, frankly, if you never know how people are going to react to you as you come up on them and you really don't need to care. Right, and some will scowl, some will bark, some will look away, some will walk right by you. It's not my problem, you know, and I don't feel any kind of emotional or mental overthinking or tug of war in my heart about much of that anymore. And of course that helps when you've already lost most of the relationships in your life to rebuild yourself and restart your whole way of feeling and believing and seeing relationship. But that's kind of a new cool start. I'm in a small town here and know very little people and, you know, obviously a little bit of a fish out of water, New Yorker style, international guy in a small ranching town. But the dogs are a good example of no F's given, right? It's going to be what it's going to be and don't take it personal and move on and you never know. Uh, you might find your next best friend or you'd be happy just to get by without a fight. So... That's kind of some neat neat musings from the beginning here on my perspective. All right, now a little bit more storytelling to kind of keep on with the, the season. So 
Last, you know, for those of you who are just joining on this episode, just quick recap, I decided to start to go into really a regression, you know, past life childhood, you know, childhood regression of kind of how I grew up and what got me here, right? And not in a blame or shame or woes me phase, but really just a permission to revisit it all and to kind of readdress my belief systems around all of it. Maybe walk through some of my traumas again and heal them and and just get a, a greater clue on, you know, because most of us have learned that much of, you know, our adult behavior has come and stemmed from childhood experiences. And so, you know, I shared that my parents were very young when they had me, 14 and 15 when they got pregnant, you know, 15 and 16 when they had me, divorced by the time I was two. And so last we left off, I had been taken, you know, and I had to really think about this again and kind of, it's very personal and it's hard to share my story without sharing other people's story and it's you know it's got consequences i'm sure and I'm, I'm sorry that for any fallout that might happen for anybody in my family or what have you who doesn't like what i'm sharing but it is my story and i feel entitled to share it from my perspective and so i'm going to continue to do so but that being said just you know before i kind of dive in on that i will say just from now from the last episode till now it has already been tremendously healing I mean, it's already cracked open a whole ton of wounds that I've worked through on my own and tons of memories that I had compartmentalized and lots of feelings that I had buried and continue to work through today off the mic. It's already been a very helpful journey for me and therefore I'm going to carry on. That being said, I said, you know, I last shared that basically at two years old, my mom decided to pick up and take me to Idaho to go live with her father at that time who had been estranged for most of her life. I shared that he had actually left my mom at a very young age and had taken her brother with him but left her. I'm sure that's left all kinds of things in her life and then put him up for adoption and now he's up in Idaho with a new family with children involved. I don't know much about him. I, I never saw him again after this this experience I'm going to share, but we went to my grandfather's house, and that being said, I just recently was starting to think we went to my grandfather's house. We went to Idaho. My mom decided to go or leave, and, and the fact is, as a father, you know, I can say my mom stole me from my dad. This happened in the middle of the night, and I've already shared, you know, that he was not a very friendly person to be around, and he wasn't being a very good husband, and he wasn't being a very good father, and he probably wasn't living into his highest self as a man, but nonetheless, he has rights as a father. And at this time, you know, my mom felt it was her right and was best for the both of us to be a thief in the night and take me out of Missouri, for that matter, really forever, outside of going back and visiting. That happened, and so we, we landed in Idaho after variety of circumstances to get there and probably a pretty tumultuous time for her and as I shared I remember getting pneumonia at the bus stop somehow and I already, was already born with bronchitis and had terrible coughs as a kid and but we got there and I thought a lot about that and actually those are some of my fondest memories you know imagine I was emotional in other ways as a young person but I was a pretty joyous baby and and uh, I do remember, I'm not sure if it was from the pictures that I saw later or if it was really my own memories, but there were these other kids there and we were all very close and I felt really a part of a very you know neat and playful scene and experience. 
crawdad hunting or playing in water. I just had these memories of what you would traditionally think of a children playing. And those are really fond. But I also remember when her father told us we had to leave. And it wasn't that long. I don't know how long we were there for. Could have been maybe nine months or whatever. But I do remember basically, for all intents and purposes, seemingly he kicked us out. And so there we were once again. My mom, bless her heart, 18, 19 years old, young child, out on her own again in another state now, no family around. And I just remember, you know, that. I, I have some memory of her with suitcases and going out and crying. And he was a big man. I just kind of remember his presence and this kind of dark, shady thing. And there seemed to be some mention of, you know, his wife just not being okay with us being there. And that was kind of what that was the message. And that I carried that message really for the rest of my life was my grandfather chose his new family over us and uh, wanted us to leave so that everything could be fine with him and his new family. And as I said, I've never seen him again. And uh, it turns out he was a, became, or was at that time or whatever, a bishop in the Mormon family in Idaho or in Mormon church in Idaho and well-respected in his community and seemingly, you know, got to live a life where he felt very respected. And I think I'm still processing, you know, kind of how that can be when you've abandoned one family, you've put your child out, your son up for adoption, you've left your daughter behind, and then you kicked your daughter and your new son out of out of the house to kind of live your life the way you wanted to. And quite often that's, you know, what I've been realizing is I, I've kind of been bitter about that with just about much of my family in a variety of ways, but I'll probably get into that later. So anyway, now we're back on our own, and this really, I think, was kind of the first beginnings of my true loss of innocence and a long, long journey of new men coming in and out of my life through my mom and different householders and so on. And so at that point, there was a, again, timing's obscure, but then I found out that, or that I remember, and I remember this road trip and stuff, but again, some of this comes from tales that have been told over the years or however they, you know, came about, which is, again, fascinating to think, you know, did, when did my mom and I talk about this or when did my sister and I talk about this or when did these things kind of get filled back in as in it's a coloring book is turns out my grandmother, I think, had another kind of, you know, frustration fallout with my aunt Charlene, which was my mom's youngest sister because she was doing drugs and getting caught, you know, smoking pot or something like that, you know, doing drugs, quote unquote, smoking pot. And that was unacceptable. And geez, must have been only like 13, 14 at that time. And, and my aunt Debbie, the middle sister had, you know, been with my uncle Joe, very young age and was pregnant. And so it seems like, as I understand it, my grandmother and again, this is just my memory, so, you know, it is what it is. But my grandmother abandoned my, the rest of my mom's family, the, the two sisters. And so she had to go back to Kansas City and pack up Charlene and my Aunt Debbie. And my Uncle Joe came along, who was also put up for adoption as a kid. And I think somewhat estranged from his family for quite some time. And so this was his new family. And now we had, there, and we're in a car driving across from Missouri back to Idaho with this whole new extended family again. Well, you know, my mom had grown up this way, as she shared. She, there were stories where my grandmother would drop them off at the babysitters and, and then disappear for days. And so my mom would 
try to protect her sisters and try to placate the babysitters for being so angry. And she even shared a story once where my grandmother was gone and she, and it was at the babysitters and something, and her sisters refused to go back to school. It was like back to school time and they refused to go back to school because they didn't have any school clothes. And so my mom shared a story where she went to the Walmart or some version of that at that time and took a shopping cart in there and stole a whole bunch of clothes to get out of there and get the girls into back to school clothes and get them back into school until grandma came back and there was that. So now they're driving across the country, heading back to Idaho. I remember having some fond moments, you know, with my aunt Charlene. We've always been very, very close and had a tight bond. I loved her to death and loved her to death then. And my aunt Debbie and I uh, have always had a tougher go about our relationship. And at that time I felt like she was very resentful of my mom and therefore took it out on me and shared with me much later that I wasn't making all that up. And I think we tried to reconcile that at one point in her house in Kansas City much later in a night of talking and sharing. So that was nice. That was somewhat healing. And now I had my new cousin Jody, who I adore now and did then. And my mom had to work a lot and she was going to school. But before that, she got married again to this guy named Dana cowboy from Idaho and it was very short-lived. I remember being with my Aunt Charlene and sitting on the front porch when my mom was gone at her honeymoon and waiting, you know, for her to come back and being excited about that. And then I don't remember much more about the relationship outside of that we were kind of close with his parents. There was a time at Christmas when I we were all there at his parents at Christmas and uh, I had got all excited and they had these this kitchen that had like swinging doors on both the left and the right side of the kitchen. And I came running into the kitchen to see them. And at that point, Anna's mother at that time, my new step-grandmother or whatever, was carrying a tray of coffee. And I ran right into her torso and she just spilt a whole tray of hot coffee all over my body. And I remember this pretty vividly of just like being like a wild animal, a wild dog, and just flying all over the kitchen and screaming and there's more to that, and I remember this, the burning, and the, it was a big deal. I had to go to the hospital, so I remember that, and then I remember Dana basically beating my mother, screaming at her, and telling her she can't leave right before she was leaving him, and that very weird, scary moment as a child, and then I remember we were no longer with him, and I got this book from his parents for Christmas that was had my name in it. It was the first time I had seen a children's book. I think it was like Snow White and the Seven Drawers, you know, or Pinocchio or one of those, but I think it's Snow White and the Seven Drawers, if I recall. And they put a character in there and it had my name and it was, you know, and Heath and, you know, Heath found and Heath. And I just thought it was like the neatest gift ever. And I really loved that book. And it kind of made me have some melancholy at that point of this other family was now gone. We weren't ever going to see them again. And, and that was true. We weren't. And I uh, never did. And so then cut to uh, my, and I at that point spent a fair amount of time with my Uncle Joe uh, and my Aunt Debbie while my mom was at work or at school. And so, you know, they became, and Jody was, you know, his brand new baby. I'll never forget, like, seeing the little umbilical cord still in her belly and just being so curious about what that was and when it would come off. And, and uh, I remember how bitchy my Aunt Debbie was with me. <laughs> And I just remember how cool my Uncle Joe was with me, and he was really big into music, and he was always one to kind of 
get me into music, and I had a nickname, Snow Dog, because I had pure blonde hair at that time, and so I was Snow Dog, and he was Doc Holliday, and everybody had nicknames, and we were very close. And then, next thing I know, they were gone. And uh, it turned out that, you know, Charlene hated it there, and uh, she went back, I think, first, and then my Aunt Debbie, I don't think, was very fond of it there. I know my Uncle Joe said he loved it there, and mentioned that for many years, even after, but they all packed up and left. And, you know, it was just my mom and I again. And then I felt very lonely. And then my grandmother showed up out of nowhere, which I have some really kind of cool memories with my grandmother there at that time. And, uh, you know, her us playing and stuff. But I know that that was also very stressful. My mom, a bit of a burden, you know, very complicated, I'm sure, because uh, she probably didn't feel like my, my grandmother had the right to be there, but also couldn't tell her not to be there. And and I just, you know, I remember that's when my mom still smoked cigarettes. And so I have memories of seeing this commercial at one point of, uh, there was an old PSA that was, had like uh, a visit of Oz, you know, and there was this whole don't smoke, it's no joke. And so I used to torture my mother with that phrase every time I saw her light up a cigarette. And not long after that, she actually quit smoking and wasn't a cigarette smoker for my whole life. And so I felt some sense of pride that I might have bugged my mom to death to quit smoking. But my grandmother was still there at that time, and so I had some moments with my grandmother in Pocatello as a young person, and then she was gone. And so we were there, and then Richard came in, who was my stepfather for many years, and the father of my half-sister, Rochelle. And that led to a very tumultuous, in some ways horrific, next decade of my life. There is good sides to it, of course, and there's a lot of bad sides. And as somebody who's typically pretty optimistic and tries to be a pretty cheerful person, particularly as I said, I like to see that I'm bringing out the best in others. I did not give myself permission to recognize what a fucking bummer that part of the chapter was for much of my life. So we'll leave it there for now. That gets us up to Heath Burr, five years old. Thanks for joining me. Bar's closed. Oh,